Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, March 1st episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. That would be episode 182, I believe, episode 182. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, I The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Uh, definitely worth your time to go over there. There is great, great, great podcasts over there. Um, 40 or 50, actually, I think it's nearer 50 of them over there. Um, you'll definitely run out of time to listen to all of them. You'll find so many you want to listen to, but it's definitely worth your while. I also want to remind you of the final link in the show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence um, establishment of a Christian classical education-based school to provide an alternative within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. You can go read more detail about it. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask that you pray for us that we would ask that you would prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask that you uh, pass the link along so that other people can do the same thing and can consider it. All right. Well, we're going to get again for today. We're going to go ahead and do our reading in the scriptures. And then for this evening, we're going to continue reading in Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. All right. So we're going to go ahead and open up like we usually do on Wednesday mornings with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of, li- in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a full a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity, not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. Now our devotion for the morning of March 1st. From Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text comes from Jeremiah 31.3. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. The thunders of the law 
and the terrors of judgment are all used to bring us to Christ, but the final victory is effected by loving kindness. The prodigal set out to his father's house from a sense of need, but his father saw him a great way off and ran to meet him, so that the last steps he took towards his father's house were with the kiss still warm upon his cheek and the welcome still musical in his ears. Law and terrors do but harden, all the while they work alone, but a sense of blood-bought pardon will dissolve a heart of stone. The master came one night to the door and knocked with the iron hand of the law. The door shook and trembled upon its hinges, but the man piled every piece of furniture which he could find against the door, for he said, I will not admit the man. The master turned away, but by and by he came back, and with his own soft hand, using most that part where the nail had penetrated, he knocked again, oh, so softly and tenderly. This time the door did not shake, but strange to say, it opened, and there upon his knees, the once unwilling host was found rejoicing to receive his guest. Come in, come in, thou hast so knocked that my bowels are moved for thee. I could not think of thy pierced hand leaving its blood mark on my door, and of thy going away houseless, thy head filled with dew, and thy locks with the drops of the night. I yield, I yield, thy love has won my heart. So in every case, loving kindness wins the day. What Moses with the tablets of stone could never do, Christ does with his pierced hand. Such is the doctrine of effectual calling. Do I understand it experimentally? Can I say he drew me and I followed on glad to confess the voice did fine? If so, may he continue to draw me till at last I shall sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right, now we're going to do our reading for the day. We're going to start in Leviticus 24. Leviticus 24. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light, to make a lamp burn continually. Outside the veil of testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall keep it in order from evening to morning before Yahweh continually. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. He shall keep the lamps in order on the pure gold lampstand before Yahweh continually. Then you shall take, the, take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. And you shall set them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before Yahweh. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row. It may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to Yahweh. Every Sabbath day he shall set it in order before Yahweh continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings to Yahweh by fire, his portion forever. Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the sons of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. And the son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name and cursed, so they brought him to Moses. Now his mother's name was Shelemith, and the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody, so that the command of Yahweh might be made clear to them. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who has cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay, lay their hands on his head. Then let all the congregation stone him. And you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. If a man strikes down the life of any human being, 
he shall surely be put to death. And the one who strikes down the life of an animal shall make restitution for it, life for life. If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. Thus the one who strikes down an animal shall make restitution for it, but the one who strikes down a man shall be put to death. There shall be one standard of judgment for you. It shall be for the sojourner as well as the native, for I am Yahweh your God. Then Moses spoke to the sons of Israel, and they brought the one with who had cursed outside the camp and stoned him with stones. Thus the sons of Israel did just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Leviticus 25, we're going to read till verse 46, which may be the end of the verse, or chapter, we'll see. So Leviticus 25. Yahweh then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I am giving to you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to Yahweh. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard, and gather in its produce. But during the seventh year the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to Yahweh. You shall not sow your field, nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord from your harvest you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year, and the Sabbath produce of the land shall be for food, for you and your male and female slaves, and your hired man and your foreign residents, those who sojourn with you, (sighs) even your cattle and the beasts that are in your land shall have all its produce to eat. You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seven Sabbaths of years namely forty-nine years. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound a horn all through your land. You shall thus set apart as holy the fiftieth year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own possession of land, and each of you shall return to his family. You shall have the fiftieth year as a jubilee. You shall not sow, you shall not reap what grows of its own accord you shall not gather in from its untrimmed vines. For it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you, you shall eat its produce out of the field. On this year of jubilee each of you shall return to his own possession of land. If you make a sale, moreover, to your companion, or buy from your friend's hand, you shall not mistreat one another. Corresponding to the number of years after the jubilee you shall buy from your companion. He is to sell to you according to the number of years of produce. In proportion to the extent of the years, you shall increase its price, and in proportion to the fewness of the years, you shall diminish its price, for it is the number of crops it produces that he is selling to you. So you shall not mistreat one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am Yahweh your God. You shall thus observe my statutes and keep my judgments, so as to do them, that you may live securely on the land. Then the land will yield its fruit, so that you can eat your fill and live securely on it. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year, if we do not sow or gather in our produce, then I will command my blessing for you in the sixth year, that it will bring forth the produce for three years. So you shall sow the eighth year and eat old things from that produce, eating the old until the ninth year, when its produce comes in. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land land is mine, for you are but sojourners and foreign residents with me. Thus for every piece of land of your possession you shall provide for the redemption of the land. If a brother of yours becomes so poor he has to sell part of his possession 
of land, then his nearest kinsman redeemer is to come and redeem what his brother has sold. Or in case a man has no kinsman redeemer, but recovers his means and finds sufficient payment for its redemption, then he shall calculate the year since its sale and return the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and so return to his possession of land. But if he has not found sufficient means to return it to himself, then what he has sold shall remain in the hands of its purchaser until the year of Jubilee. But at the Jubilee it shall revert that he may return to his possession of land. Likewise, if a man sells a house for habitation in a walled city, then his redemption right remains valid until a full year from its sale. His right of redemption lasts a full year. But if it is not redeemed for him within the space of a full year, then the house that is in the walled city passes permanently to its purchaser throughout his generations. It does not revert in the Jubilee. The houses of the villages, however, which have no surrounding wall, shall be considered as open fields. They have redemption rights and revert in the Jubilee. As for cities of the Levites, the Levites have a permanent right of redemption for the houses of the cities, which are their possession. What therefore belongs to the Levites may be redeemed, and a house sale in the city of their possessions reverts in the Jubilee, for the houses of the cities of the Levites are their possession, possession among the sons of Israel. But pasture fields of their city shall not be sold, for that is their perpetual possession. Now if a brother of yours becomes poor, and his means with regard to your fault, you falter, then you are to sustain him like a sojourner or a foreign resident, that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but fear your God, that your brother may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, to give you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. If a brother of yours becomes poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to, slave, to a slave's service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a foreign resident. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Uh, 46, okay. He shall then go out from you, he and his sons with him, and shall return to his family, that he may return to the possession of the land of his fathers. For they are my slaves whom I brought out from the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold in a slave sale. You shall not have dominion over him with brutality, but you shall fear your God. As for your male and female slaves, whom you may have, you may acquire male and female slaves from the nations that are around you. And also you may acquire from the sons of the foreign residents who sojourn among you, from them and their families who are with you. As for those whom they have begotten in your land, they also may become your possession. You may even give them as an inheritance to your sons after you, to receive as a possession. You can use them as permanent slaves. But in respect to your brothers, the sons of Israel, you shall not have dominion over one another with brutality. All right. And let's see, this is going to be Mark 10, 13 through 31. <sighs> and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished, saying to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, except one who will receive 100 times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. All right, Psalm 44, verses 9 through 26. Yet you have rejected us and brought us to dishonor, and do not go out with our armies. You cause us to turn back from the adversary, and those who hate us have plundered us for themselves. You give us as sheep to be eaten, and have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people for no amount, and you have not profited from their price. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a mockery and a derision to those around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my dishonor is before me, and the shame of my face has covered me. Because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, and we have not dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps deviated from your path. Yet you have crushed us in a place of jackals, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. But for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face, and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul has sunk down into the dust, our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. And finally, Proverbs what is it? Proverbs 10, verses 20 and 21. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver, the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but ignorant fools die for lack of a heart of wisdom. All right. Well, that is our reading, our Bible reading for the day. Um, thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I, I hope this is edifying and is helpful for you, helpful to keep you in the Word. I, we all need to be in the Word more. Um, we need to be. We need to be like they talked of John Bunyan, that he was so saturated with it that they said if they cut him, he would be bleed bibline. He would bleed the Bible. That's what we have to be. 
So I'm hoping this little part that I'm doing will help to keep you saturated in the scriptures. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you, um, and I will implore you and pray for you to do all that you do for the glory of God and God willing. I hope to see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Uh, the name of the prayer from Valley of vision that we're going to close with this, this morning is amazing grace. Let's pray. Oh, thou giving God, my heart is drawn out in thankfulness to thee for thy amazing grace and condescension to me in influences and assistances of thy spirit for special help and prayer for the sweetness of Christian service, for the thoughts of arriving in heaven, for always sending me needful supplies, for raising me to new life when I am like one dead. I want not the favor of man to lean upon, for thy favor is infinitely better. Thou art eternal wisdom in dispensations towards me, and it matters not when nor where nor how I serve thee, nor what trials I am exercised with, if I might but be prepared for thy work and will. No poor creature stands in need of divine grace more than I do, and yet none abuses it more than I have done, and still do. How heartless and dull I am! Humble me in the dust for not loving thee more. Every time I exercise any grace renewedly, I am renewedly indebted to thee, the God of all grace, for special assistance. I cannot boast when I think how dependent I am upon thee for the being and every act of grace. I never do anything else but depart from thee, and if ever I get to heaven, it will be because thou willest it, and for no reason beside. I love as a feeble, afflicted, despised creature to cast myself on thy infinite grace and goodness, hoping for no happiness but for thee. Give me special grace to fit me for special services, and keep me calm and resigned at all times, humble, solemn, mortified, and conformed to thy will. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful day, and like I said, God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a great day. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, March 1st episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is part of, of a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can reach us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org and I would definitely encourage you to get over there. There's great, great, great podcasts, uh, lots of them. Um, believe me, you will run out of time to listen to all the ones you want to listen to. So it's definitely worth your while. And wow, it just amazes me that we're already in March of the year. Uh, it doesn't feel like we've gone that far in the year, but wow, it is moving fast. Kind of like last year moved pretty fast, which was amazing because 2020 and 2021 felt like they dragged. But so we're going to continue this evening in our reading of the godly man's picture from Thomas Watson. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to go ahead and open up this evening with another prayer, as we usually do, from uh, um, Valley of Vision. And uh, the one we're going to open with this morning or this evening is called God Enjoyed. Let's pray. Thou incomprehensible but prayer-hearing God, known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed, my wants and welfare draw me to thee, for thou hast never said, Seek ye me in vain. To thee I come in my difficulties, necessities, distresses. Possess me with thyself, with a spirit of grace and supplication, 
with a prayerful attitude of mind, with access into warmth of fellowship, so that in the ordinary concerns of life my thoughts and desires may rise to thee, and in habitual devotion I may find a resource that will soothe my sorrows, sanctify my successes, and qualify me in all ways for dealing with my fellow men. I bless thee that thou hast made me capable of knowing thee, the author of all being, of resembling thee, the perfection of all excellency, of enjoying thee, the source of all happiness. O God, attend me in every part of my arduous and trying pilgrimage. I need the same counsel, defense, comfort I found at my beginning. Let my religion be more obvious to my conscience, more perceptible to those around. While Jesus is representing me in heaven, may I reflect him on earth. While he pleads my cause, may I show forth his praise. Continue the gentleness of thy goodness towards me. And whether I wake or sleep, let thy presence go with me. Thy blessing attend me. Thou hast led me on, and I have found thy promises true. I have been sorrowful, but thou hast been my help. Fearful, but thou hast delivered me. Despairing, but thou hast lifted me up. Thy vows are ever upon me, and I praise thee. O God. Amen. All right. And now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for March 1st. And it comes, the text comes from 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Dear reader, have you received the Spirit which is of God, wrought by the Holy Ghost in your soul? The necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart may be clearly seen from this fact that all which has been done by God the Father and by God the Son must be ineffectual to us, unless the Spirit shall reveal these things to our souls. What effect does the doctrine of election have upon any man until the Spirit of God enters into him? Election is a dead letter in my conscience until the Spirit of God calls me out of darkness into marvelous light. Then through my calling I see my election, and knowing myself to be called of God, I know myself to have been chosen in the eternal purpose." A covenant was made with the Lord Jesus Christ by his Father. But what avails that covenant to us until the Holy Spirit brings us its blessings and opens our hearts to receive them? There hang the blessings on the nail. Christ Jesus, but being short of stature, we cannot reach them. The Spirit of God takes them down and hands them to us, and thus they become actually ours. Covenant blessings in themselves are like the manna in the skies, far out of mortal reach. But the Spirit of God opens the windows of heaven and scatters the living bread around the camp of the spiritual Israel. Christ's finished work is like wine stored in the wine vat. Though unbe through unbelief we can neither draw nor drink, the Holy Spirit dips our vessel into this precious wine and then we drink. But without the Spirit we are as truly dead in sin as though the Father never had elected, and though the Son had never bought us with his blood. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to our well-being. Let us walk lovingly towards him and tremble at the thought of grieving him. Amen. What a great one about the Holy Spirit. Wow. Spurgeon. Always amazing and always worthwhile to read. All right. Well, let's continue on in our reading of Thomas Watson's, excuse me, I'm moving my microphone here, of Thomas Watson's um, The Godly Man's Picture. We are in the fourth overall big section, which is about, actually, let me, sorry. Let me look so I read the thing right. Um, this is about showing the characteristics of a godly man. Um, this fourth big section. So there are subsections to it, which are all the characteristics. So we are now on the 16th characteristic here. And so this one, so section 16 here, 
a godly man is a patient man. So that's what we're talking about. A man of patience, a patient man is a characteristic of being a godly man. So here we go. Um, let me uncheck that. There we go. All right. Section 16. A godly man is a patient man. You have heard of the patience of Job. James 5.11. Patience is a star which shines in a dark night. There is a twofold patience. One, patience in waiting. And two, patience in bearing. One, patience in waiting. If a godly man does not obtain his desire immediately, he will wait until the mercy is ripe. My soul waits for the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 6. There is good reason why God should have the timing of our mercies. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Isaiah 60, 22. Deliverance may tarry beyond our time, but it will not tarry beyond God's time. Why should we not wait patiently for God? Number one, we are servants. It becomes servants to be in a waiting posture. Number two, we wait for everything else. We wait for the fire till it burns. We wait for the seed until it grows. James 5, 7. Why can we not wait for God? Number three, God has waited for us. The Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Isaiah thirty eighteen. Did he not wait for our repentance? How often did he come year after year before he found fruit? Luke thirteen seven. If God waited for us, can we not wait for him? A godly man is content to await God's pleasure. Though the vision tarry, wait for it. Habakkuk 2, 3. Number two, patience in bearing. This patience is twofold. One, patience in regard to man when we bear injuries without revenging. Two, patience in regard to God when we bear his hand without expressing discontent. A good man will not only do God's will, but bear his will. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Micah 7, 9. This patient bearing of God's will is not a, a stoic apathy to, I'm sorry, a stoic apathy. Patience is not being insensible under God's hand. We ought to be sensible. B, forced patience, bearing a thing because we cannot help it, which, as Erasmus said, is necessity rather than patience. But patience is a cheerful submission of our will to God. May the will of the Lord be done. Acts 21.14 A godly man acquiesces in what God does as being not only good, but best for himself. The great quarrel between God and us is whose will shall stand. Now the regenerate will, will falls in with the will of God. There are four things opposite to this patient frame of soul. 1. Disquiet of spirit, when the soul is discomposed and pulled off the hinges such that it is unfit for holy duties. When the strings of a lute are snarled, the lute is not fit to make music. So when a Christian spirit is perplexed and disturbed, he cannot make melody in his heart to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19 Number 2. Discontent, which is a sullen, stubborn mood. When a man is not angry at his sins, but at his condition, this is different from patience. Discontent is the daughter of pride. Number 3. Prejudice which is a dislike of God and his ways and are falling away from piety. Sinners have hard thoughts of God, and if he just touches them in a tender spot, they will at once go away from him and discard his uniform. Number four, self-vindication. When instead of being humbled under God's hand, a man justifies himself as if he had not deserved what he suffers. A proud sinner stands on his own defense and is ready to accuse God of unrighteousness. This is as if he were to accuse the son of darkness. This is far from patience. A godly man subscribes to God's wisdom and submits to his will. He says not only, 
Good is the word of the Lord, Isaiah 39, 8, but good is the rod of the Lord. Use. Because we would demonstrate that we are godly, let us be imminent in the grace of patience. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit, Ecclesiastes 7, 8. There are some graces which we, we will have no need of in heaven. We will have no need of faith when we have full vision, nor will we need patience when we have perfect joy. But on a dark, sorrowful night, there is need for these stars to shine. Hebrews 6.12 Let us show our patience in bearing God's will. Patient in bearing God's will is twofold. When God removes any comfort from us, that's number one, and number two, when God imposes any trouble on us. So number one, we must be patient when God removes any comfort from us. Does God take away any of our relations? I take away the desire of your eyes with a stroke, Ezekiel 24:16. Yet it is still our duty to patiently acquiesce in the will of God. The loss of a dear relation is like pulling off a limb from the body. But grace will make our hearts calm and sedate, and work in us a holy patience under such a severe dispensation. I will lay down eight considerations which may act like spiritual medicine to kill the worm of impatience under the loss of relations. Number one, the Lord never takes away any comfort from his people without giving them what is better. The disciples parted with Christ's bodily presence, and he sent them the Holy Spirit. God eclipses one joy and augments another. He simply makes an exchange. He takes away a flower and gives a diamond. Number two, when godly fr friends dying are in a better condition, they are taken away from the evil to come. Isaiah 57, 1. They are out of the storm and have gotten to the haven. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Revelation 14:13. The godly have a portion promised to them upon their marriage with Christ, but the portion is not paid till the day of their death. The saints at death are promoted to communion with God. They have what they so long hoped for and prayed for. Why then should we be impatient at our friend's promotion? Number three, you that are a saint have a friend in heaven which you cannot lose. The Jews have a saying at their funerals, let your consolation be in heaven. Are you mourning someone close? Look up to heaven and fetch comfort from there. Your best kindred are above. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Psalm 27:10. God will be with you in the hour of death. Though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Psalm 23, 4. Other friends you cannot keep. God is a friend you cannot lose. He will be your guide in life, your hope in death, your reward after death. Number four, perhaps God is correcting you for a fault, and if so, it becomes you to be patient. It may be that your friend had more of your love than God did, and therefore God took away such a relation so that the stream of your love might run back to him again. A gracious woman, having been deprived first of her children, then of her husband, she said, Lord, you have a plot against me. You intend to have all my love. God does not like to have any creature set upon the throne of our affections. He will take away that comfort, and then he shall lie nearest our heart. If a husband bestows a jewel on his wife, and she so falls in love with that jewel as to forget her husband, he will take away the jewel so that her love may return to him again. A dear relation is this jewel. If we begin to idolize it, God will take away the, the jewel, so that our love may return to him again. Number five, a godly relation is parted with, but not lost. That is lost, which we have no hope of ever seeing again. Pious friends have only gone a little before us. A time will shortly come when there shall be a meeting without parting. 
1 Thessalonians 5.10 How glad one friend is to see another that has been long absent. Oh, what a glorious acclamations there will be when old relations meet together in heaven and are in each other's embraces. When a great prince lands at the shore, the guns go off as a token of joy. When godly friends have all landed at the heavenly shore and congratulate one another's happiness, what stupendous joy there will be. What music in the choir of angels, how heaven will ring with their praises, and that which is the crown of all, those who were joined in the flesh here will be joined nearer than ever in the mystic body, and will lie together in Christ's bosom, First Thessalonians 4.17, that bed of perfume. Number six, we have deserved worse at God's hand. Has he taken away a child, a wife, a parent? We might have taken away his spirit instead. Has he deprived us of a relation? He might have deprived us of salvation instead. Does he put wormwood in the cup? Ah, but we deserved poison. You have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Ezra 9.13 We have a sea of sin, but only a drop of suffering. Number seven, the patient soul must sweetly, most sweetly enjoys itself. An impatient man is like a troubled sea which cannot rest. Isaiah 57.20 He tortures himself on the rack of his own griefs and passions, whereas patience calms the heart, as Christ calmed the sea when it was rough. Now there is a Sabbath in the heart, yes, a heaven, and your patience possess your souls. Luke 21, 19. By faith, a man possesses God, and by patience, he possesses himself. Number eight, how patient many of the saints have been when the Lord has broken the very staff of their comfort and bereaving them of relations. The Lord took away Job's children, and he was so far from murmuring that he fell to blessings. The Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord, Job 121. God foretold the death of Eli's sons. In one day they shall die, both of them, 1 Samuel 2.34. But how patiently he took this sad news. It is the Lord, let him do what seems good good to him. 1 Samuel 3.18 See the difference between Eli and Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord? Exodus 5.2. Eli said, It is the Lord. When God struck two of Aaron's sons dead, Aaron held his peace. Leviticus 10.2-3. Patience opens the ear, but shuts the mouth. It opens the ear to hear the rod, but shuts the mouth, so that it does not have a word to say against God. Behold, hear the patterns of patience, and shall we not copy them? These are heart-quieting considerations when God sets a death's head upon our comforts and removes dear relations from us. Number two, we must be patient when God inflicts any trouble on us. Patient in tribulation. Number one, the Lord sometimes lays heavy affliction on his people. Your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses upon me. Psalm 38.2 The Hebrew word for afflicted signifies to be melted. God seems to melt his people in a furnace. Number two, God sometimes sometimes lays various afflictions on the saints. He multiplies my wounds. Job 9, 17. Just as we have various ways of sinning, so the Lord has various ways of afflicting. Some he melts away their estates. Others he claims to a sick, chains to a sick bed. Others he confines to a prison. God has various arrows in his quiver, which he shoots. Number three. Sometimes God lets the affliction lie for a long time. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there among us any that knows how long. Psalm 74, 9. As it is with diseases, there are some chronic that linger and hang about the body several years in a row. So it is with afflictions. 
The Lord is pleased to exercise many of his precious ones with chronic afflictions, which lie on them for a long time. Now in all cases it suits the saints to rest patiently in the will of God. The Greek word for patient is a metaphor, alluding to someone who stands invincibly under a burden. This is the right notion of patience, when we bear affliction invincibly without feigning or fretting. The test of a pilot is seen in a storm, so the test of a Christian is seen in affliction. The one that has the right art of navigation, when the boisterous winds blow from heaven, will steer the ship of his soul wisely and not, da and not dash it on the rocks of impatience. A Christian should always maintain decorum, not behaving himself in an unseemly manner or disguising himself with intemperate passion when the hand of God lies upon him. Patience adorns suffering. Affliction in Scripture is composed to a net. You brought us into the net or is compared to a net, sorry, you brought us into the net, Psalm 66, 11. Those who have escaped the devil's net, the Lord may still allow to be taken in the net of affliction. But they must not be like a wild bull in a net, Isaiah 51, 20, kicking and flinging against their mat, maker. Rather, they must lie patiently till God, sorry, till God breaks the net and makes a way for their escape, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I will propound four potent arguments to encourage patience under the, those troubles which God inflicts on us. Number one, afflictions are for our benefit. Human fathers corrected us, but he for our, for our profit. Hebrews 12.10 We pray that God would take such a course with us that it may do our souls good. When God is afflicting us, he is hearing our prayers. He does it for our profit. Not that affliction in the afflictions in themselves profit us, but they profit us as God's Spirit works with them. For just as the waters of Bethesda could not impart health by themselves, sorry, by themselves, unless the angel descended and stirred them, John five four. So the waters of affliction are not healing in themselves until God's Spirit cooperates and sanctifies them to us. Afflictions are possible, are, are profitable in many ways. They make men, number one, they make men sober and wise. Physicians have mental patients bound in chains, but on a frugal, put on a frugal diet and given hard fare to bring them to the use of reason. Many run stark mad in prosperity. They know neither God nor themselves. The Lord therefore binds them with cords of affliction that he may bring them to their understanding. If they are held in cords of affliction, then he shows them their transgressions. He also opens their ear to discipline. Job 36, 8 through 10. Number two, afflictions are a friend to grace. A, they beget grace. Beza acknowledged that God laid the foundation of his conversion during a violent sickness in Paris. B, they augment grace. The people of God are indebted to their troubles. They would never have had so much grace if they had not met with such severe trials. Now the waters run and the spices flow out. Saints thrive by affliction, and the Lacedaemonians grew rich by war. God makes grace flourish most in the fall of the leaf. Number three, afflictions quicken our pace on the way to heaven. It is with us as it is with children and s children sent on an errand. If they meet with apples or flowers on the way, they linger er and are in no great hurry to get home. But if anything frightens them, then they run with all, their, all the speed they can to their father's house. So in prosperity, we gather the apples and flowers and do not give much thought to heaven. But if troubles begin to arise and the time grows frightful, then we make greater haste to heaven. 
and with David we run in the way of God's commandments. Psalm 119.32 Number two, God intermixes mercy with affliction. He steeps his sword of justice in the oil of mercy. There was no night so dark that Israel did not have a pillar of fire in it. There is no condition so dismal that we may not see a pillar of fire to give us light. If the body is in pain and conscience is at peace, there is mercy. Affliction is for the prevention of sin. There is mercy. In the ark there was a rod and a pot of manna, the emblem of a Christian's con condition. Mercy interlined with judgment. I will sing of mercy and justice. Psalm 101.1 Here is the rod and the manna. Number three. Patience evidences much of God in the heart. Patience is one of God's titles, the God of patience, Romans 15.5. If you have your heart cast into his blessed mold, it is a sign that God has imparted much of his own nature to you. You shine with some of his beams. And patience evidences much unsoundness of heart. As it is with the body, if the body has that temper, that every little scratch of a pen makes the flesh rankle, you would say, surely this man's flesh is very unsound. So, too, it is the sign of a distempered Christian to fly off in impatience and to quarrel with providence for every petty hindrance. If there is any grace in such a heart, those who can see it must have good eyes. But the one who has, has a patient spirit is a graduate in religion and greatly participates in the divine nature. Number four, the end of affliction is glorious. The Jews were captive in Babylon, but what was the end? They departed from Babylon with vessels of silver, gold, and precious things. Ezra 1.6. So what is the end of affliction? It ends in, in, sorry. It ends in endless glory. Acts 14.22 and 2 Corinthians 4.17. How this may rock our impatient hearts to sleep. Who would not willingly travel through a little dirty way and plowed lands at the end of which is a fair meadow? And in that meadow a golden mine. Question, how shall I get my heart turned into a patient frame? Answer 1. Get faith. All our impatience proceeds from unbelief. Faith is the breeder of patience. When a storm of passion begins to arise, faith says to the heart, as Christ said to the sea, to the sea Peace, be still. And there is at once a calm. Question, how does faith work patience? Answer, faith argues the soul into patience. Faith is like that town clerk in Ephesus who quieted the contentious crowd and argued them soberly into peace. Acts 19.35 and 36. So when impatience begins to clamor and make a hubbub in the soul, faith appeases the tumult and argues the soul into holy patience. Faith says, Why are you disquieted, O my soul? Psalm 42.5. Are you afflicted? Is it not your father that has done this? He is carving and polishing you to make you fit for glory. He strikes that he may save. What is your trial? Is it sickness? God shakes the tree of your body so that some fruit may fall, even the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12.11 Are you driven from your home? God has prepared a city for you. Hebrews 11.16 Do you suffer reproach for Christ's sake? The Spirit of God and glory rests upon you. 1 Peter 4.14 Thus faith argues and disputes the soul into patience. Answer 2 Pray to God for patience. Patience is a flower of God's planting. Pray that it may grow in your heart and send forth its sweet perfume. Prayer is a holy charm to charm down the evil spirit of patience. Prayer composes the heart and puts it in tune when impatience has broken the strings and put everything into confusion. 
Oh, go to God. Prayer delights God's ear. It melts his heart. It opens his hand. God cannot deny a praying soul. Seek him with importunity, and either he will remove the affliction, or, which is better, he will remove your impatience. All right. Well, that is our reading for the evening. Tomorrow, God willing, we'll be reading about how a godly man is a thankful man. Today was godly man is a patient man. All right. Well, again, thank you for spending this time with me. I've definitely been blessed by it, and I hope you are as well. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and God willing that I will see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to be closing with our fourth day evening prayer like we usually do. It's called God All-Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine and its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, providing over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy, thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise, undo salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. <coughs> So again, I hope you had a wonderful evening and I hope you continue to have a wonderful evening and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.